Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And this is Vicker. Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Hey. How's everybody right, doing? We gotta jump. We gotta jump right into this. Okay. Right before we press record, Bullhagen, what did you just say? I said, I, yeah, I was thinking about doing some online gambling. I wonder if Berg had an opinion. <laughs> Where did that come from? What makes you think that you want to be an online gambler? I don't know. I just have these random thoughts sometimes. You know, I probably won't. It's dumb idea, but but everyone seems be to be having bet? fun with What's it. What's the bet you need? Um, I don't know. I've never I've never done it before. Um, any any of you ever done online gambling? No. I mean, I think I, I was on the episode when I said that I've gambled once. I put two hundred on black and I won. So oh, there you go. The only gambling I've done online is using Bing. <laughs> In my experience, you always double your money. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. I guess this whole podcast is an online gamble, isn't it? To an extent. <laughs> I know. I think it's a gamble that succeeded because we still have listeners. Oh, I thought it was whether or not each episode was a waste of time. (laughs) (laughs) It's a gamble. (laughs) Well, I think people still listen, so... Oh, that's true. In fact, listener, uh, you can help us out. Within within a couple of weeks, we'll hit 50,000 downloads. We're really close. Uh, So if you want to suggest this podcast to someone else, please do so. I don't know what happens when we hit 50,000. Do we get like a big uh, platinum plaque for us to hang in the background or something? Yeah, yeah, for the video <laughs> portion of the episode. <laughs> for our, our one YouTube video of my press conference. <laughs> We've tried a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to derail you guys. I just had to get that in there because Bullhagen said that right as we were hitting record. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, I have these random thoughts, and sometimes I just say them. What are you guys sipping on? I've got a Fresca. Nice. I've got a Spayburn, Speyside Single Malt Scotch. Wow. What do you have? And I've got a Glenfiddich 12 Year once again. Nice. Wow. Is that just sitting on the table, and that's just where it sits? No, I take it home. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got water today. Water, huh? Did you ever get your uh, package in the mail? Not yet. Hopefully, as the as you're listening to this, I have it. But I should. I'm, I presented our Winkle tomorrow. That's what I should be working on. I was yeah. explaining to explain what are you to presenting that. Uh, for the Winkle. So I I have uh, been uh, this year. One of the obviously one of the things I don't like about being circuit visitors, I have to pick what we're doing for the topics. Yeah, I and understand. so. Uh, you you used to be in the circuit. I used to like would assign a paper, like someone to read something or something from the confessions or something that's going on. Now this year, I I uh, figured I don't want to just have people just read an article and say what it says. I want them to actually do some work. Yeah. Uh, so I pick topics, uh, pick topics for everyone to present on. So for they, I mean, them to do, do their you, own research. So do you think that is a problem? Like, do you think we just don't teach seminarians or pastors to do that? Where they just like, like, because really, like what the topic is about should be summed up in like the first paragraph, and then the rest of it should actually be an engagement, right? Right. You, right? I mean, isn't that, 
like yeah, I don't well, know, Vickers. And and I well, I, I think that uh, I think we allow everyone else to do the work for us, and then we're getting to a point where there's a lot of things where people just aren't doing the work anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like there used to be like 25 years ago when something came up, people would talk about it and write about it. And there'd be something uh, for us, uh, some kind of thing to, well, what do you think about that? And, and, and I just see there's all sorts of topics that are coming so fast that no one does any really thought about it outside of a conversation here and there. And very few people do an in-depth study on it. And so I present because, uh, and I, I'm hit with my own, my own well, assignment. Yeah. Hey, do do you remember when I uh, when I was sick and you had to do that presentation on uh, confirmation, right? And how you and how you winced when you had to read that Luther uh, called confirmation monkey business. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good times. So so I assign topics in this the the circuit. Uh, for people to talk about a whole host of things. Um, so, so did you assign AI to yourself? That's exactly what I did. <laughs> How did you did know? You, and then did you have AI write the thing for you? No, no. <laughs> but th- that would assume that I have something written. I have all my ideas kind of thrown up on a few notes, but I don't have anything on paper yet. That's what sh- I should be working on right now. But it'll get there. I- isn't that what your vicar, isn't that what he's supposed to be? He's supposed to be like the wheelbarrow for your mind? I'm not a stenographer. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in my as I, so I've done been doing a lot of contemplating about it and thinking about it. And um, what I'm, I'm uh, the biggest issue that I have with this whole topic of AI is this: is, uh, is an accountable accountable issue, meaning that. The whole it's bringing me into a, a discussion on the the soul and how uh, at, because we have a soul and what we create and what we do, we are accountable to God, whether you're redeemed or not. And what AI I think can do is is uh, create ideas and um, and processes and uh, all sorts of things in which AI is not accountable to anyone, and it creates a separation where everyone can deny that they were a part of it and blame AI, and uh, and uh, AI faces no consequence to it. And uh, when you are created in the image of God, then uh, you also are created with the intellect and creativity, and along with that, with having a soul of being accountable to God uh, in all of those things. Uh, when Jesus talked about uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talked about things like uh, anger towards your neighbor and your words, you are liable to judgment, and that should fear how you talk and how you write and how you put things together and ideas. Because when we talk about sin and temptation, at the heart of it is not necessarily always the physical actions that we do, but it is the ideas and thoughts behind it all that are sinful. And I, what AI can do, and I think will do, ultimately is create a way of creativity that tries to go around that aspect of what it means uh, to be created in the image of God and the way that we are accountable to God 
and blame something else by creating something in our own image that we will ultimately make into our God. Nice. So uh, obviously, hopefully it sounds like I've been doing some thinking about it. What I have on on paper. (laughs) What do you think about that, that Berg? I know we've talked about it before. I mean, just to riff on it maybe a little bit is, uh, you know, I, I think AI can serve a good purpose in the same way that, you know, Elon Musk doesn't go and get his groceries. Um, Steve Jobs wore the same shirt every day. Um, I, I find AI to be basically the analog to what Joseph was in Egypt. He worked so that his master didn't have to think about anything, right? Right. Didn't have to think about the, the daily things of the house or, or anything like that. I mean, in, in those ways, perhaps AI could be useful, but then what do we actually devote ourselves to? I mean, uh, this shouldn't, you know, this shouldn't free us up to, uh, uh, to, uh, uh watch more Netflix. This should free us up to right. actually work more and more on our sermons, on Bible studies, on writing, on translating. Right. Uh, that should be the consequence of it. However, technology often doesn't do what we invent it to do. And you know, my favorite example of that, the clock, right? Clocks were invented by the monasteries. So people would get up and pray on the clock doesn't mean religious time these days. Right. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and so this is the thing is we have to be very, very careful and really, really think about, okay, how do we use this technology to free us up to do harder, more intellectual work and not just be lazy bums? Because I bet some lazy pastor has said, write a sermon on Matthew 25 blah, 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 uh, that's Lutheran. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, he's copied and pasted it and, you know. And, and that that's the, the other thing about it is is um, it's it's never going to be neutral. Yeah, I mean, AI isn't actually AI. It It's a bunch of algorithms. It's actually habitual thought. And, you know, we have to be careful of it because we know that it has been programmed by people who do not have the same values as us. So for example, um, uh, <laughs> some of the some of my college friends, uh, we're in a fantasy football league together, and uh, I'm just terrible at it because I don't know what's going on half the time. But uh, <laughs> one of them uh, jokingly asked, um, you know, uh, asked the chat GBG, whatever it is. What is it, Peter? Chat GPT. Some, GPT, right? They asked it... Uh, to make a gay joke, okay? Because that's kind of the college guys, that's kind of what we do even though we're pushing 40, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the thing wouldn't do it because it was offensive. And so the programming there and the algorithms put in there, I mean, you have to realize they were designed by people that don't actually have the same values as we do. So for example, it won't say that Jesus is Lord, but it will speak favorably of Islam, for example right? Those things are built in, right? And you have to be Mm -hmm. aware of it. Uh, The other thing is, is how do you use it so you can be freed up for better things? Um, Taking care of your family, spending more time in the Bible, um, preparing sermons, uh, making your teaching better, working on your languages. This technology should free us up, not enslave us to our own particular passions. So, yeah. So, uh, Vicar, do you have any comments on this? 
Uh, well, I guess my the only thing I I'd have to say about it is that um, AI seems to be pretty slippery, um, simply because um, it's a tool, right? Um, and tools have proper purposes, right? You can uh, murder someone with a hammer, but that doesn't make it its right. proper purpose. As Berg once famously said, "We're all tools." <laughs> Indeed. Um, and the thing with AI is it's unclear as to what its ultimate purpose is. Um, you know, a lot of people will tout it as, oh, it's this tool that can help you clear up time and help you do this or that. But uh, what exactly that is, isn't really right. Isn't really clear. And then that can add then confusion as to, um, well, it can lead you into bad situations. Well, especially considering if you think about it, we have, when you the ones that we have access to is a Kmart AI. I'm sure there's real like powerful AI than what we're getting oh, that's yeah. being used. The thing is, is uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, Vicar. Um, I think AI, if you wanted to design your own college course, like if I wanted to learn Middle Egyptian, for example, right? I'm mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. Chat GPT could do that. And it would save me like pouring through Harvard and Yale and, you know, all of these, um, you know, uh, Near Eastern right. things, right? Yeah, right. Right. I mean, so in that way, it's it's really just a more advanced version of Google, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. and that's much, how yeah. it can be used. Um, and I guess you know, if and that's the thing, like you said, with tools, how do you use those tools, and what are you giving up? Because, like, for example, with the car, uh, we gave up a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. We used to be able to walk miles and miles and miles because we had to, right? Yeah, like um, walkable cities and whatnot. You know, walkable cities, walk thirty miles. Um, even people in the early twentieth century, I mean, they would walk eleven miles one way, no problem, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, every technology seems to have a double-edged sword. Okay, yeah, it makes things easier in this particular way, but then what are we giving up on the other side? I would say that we're all a lot slower and weaker and uh, intellectually, I'd say we're actually dumber than our ancestors. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, I mean, do we have to be? I don't think so. But I don't think we've quite learned how to use this technology to make ourselves better. And of course, since we're fighting against the old man all the time who wants us to be lazy, um, you know. Right. But I think it's discuss. I don't. I don't. Um, have you seen much discussion and on some of these issues outside of here, outside of you know the general like small talk here and there, like someone really deep diving into what this could mean for the church? Uh, brief history of power. Adam Koontz and Pastor Fisk. They've talked quite a bit about this. Okay. Um, you know, so that'd be one place if you're interested in going and searching and listening more to that. You know, um, I don't know if the seminaries. I mean. They're the ones who are supposed to be our flagship on this, right? Right. I don't know if any articles have been published, you know, system, you know, uh, systematically or whatever on on this particular topic or from the practical theology department. So it seems like we're all stuck in World War II yet. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of problematic because you know, uh, in some ways we've surpassed World War II, and in other ways, uh. We can't build the aircraft that they did, so, you know. <laughs> right. Hey, we should talk about what we're preaching on. 
Uh, so what what are we preaching on? Uh, what's the uh, the gospel reading, Vicar? The gospel reading is from uh, Matthew chapter nine. While Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, "My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live." And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been out, put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. All right. Um, so, um, being Monday, I can't say that I haven't done much with this. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, there's definitely a lot to preach on in there. Right, right. There's the issue of faith. Every anytime Jesus mentions and comments on faith, it gives you an opportunity to, to talk about faith because he he points it out. This is an example of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, obviously, you find. Uh, people in a very desperate situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that you could say, if this is a lesson on faith, how the fact that um, you are desperate, imagine all the things that, for example, that woman had to have tried to to get her bleeding problems to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, um, and her, if as long as I can just touch the hem of the garment... Uh, trust that she that Jesus could could heal her, but both these people were were driven by their own desperation, and uh, had, were in situations that they realized they were powerless to those situations, and it drove them to Jesus. And so, one point I would say about this is, I think as Christians we could actively do that. Not just in a way where we say, okay, uh, I've tried everything, nothing seems to work, now I am going to turn to Christ. <laughs> you know, but to use the times when you recognize to, to be more aware at all times mm-hmm. of your helplessness and to use the times of suffering and helplessness to, to gain a better understanding. To use to use it actively to consider faith and in, in your faith, uh, Berg. What do you got? I think <clears throat> this is something uh, I've been thinking about, and something that I think we should actually do in our preaching. We need to actually tell people what faith is, define it for them, and this is a great text to define faith for them, right? Because mm-hmm. people will say, "Well, you know." My son or my daughter, they they believe, right? And I think we actually have to talk about, okay, what is faith? Is it just because you went to catechism class? Is it just because you have knowledge? Well, good for you. The devil has knowledge too. The devil knows God exists, right? Mm -hmm. So the question is, is what is faith? Well, it's shown in this text, right? Faith is the lively confidence in the promises of the gospel. It actually believes in Jesus. My daughter has just died. To the world, that's insane. 
to go and ask Jesus to do something. That's crazy. She's dead. You can't undo that. It's crazy to take Jesus at his word. She's not dead. She's sleeping. It's crazy that this woman who's been bleeding and is ritualistically impure, she believes that he's at least a prophet, right? If not Mm -hmm. the son of God. So that means he's holy. Well, what happens when the unholy touches the holy? Zap. Right? Right. And yet, what do these people do? This is audacity, which is what we're recording on, by the way. Right? (laughs) I mean, like, this is audacious behavior. To the world, this is pride. This is arrogance. This is audacious behavior. This is insane behavior. But this is what faith is. It is a lively confidence in the gospel. It is a lively confidence that, yeah, God can raise the dead. How do I know that? Because a man was raised from the dead, and his name is Jesus Christ. Yeah, I believe that despite my impurity and my uncleanness, if I just touch the hem of, a, of his garment, I'll be made whole again. It's standing before the coffin of your loved one, whether it be your 90-year-old grandma or your infant who died in the womb, and saying, this person's not dead, they're sleeping. To the world, that looks crazy. But that is the confidence we have in Jesus and in his promises. It's the kind of confidence we have when we say, yeah, this is bread and wine, you know, but it's actually Jesus' body and blood. This is the confidence we have that, yeah, a little bit of water sprinkled on a baby actually makes them a son of God. That's beautiful. And this is why we have to get back to what faith is. Faith will risk death a thousand times over. Faith will do things that look, uh, that aren't conventional, if you want to preach that way. I mean, you could preach on how the... uh, the woman who has a, a you know a bleed for twelve years, how that's not conventional that she would do that, right? Right. That doesn't that doesn't accord with our bourgeois understanding of you know oh we could all be all prim and proper and everything like that, right? Yeah. And so I mean, let's just get down to brass tacks. What is faith? I bet if we asked the common person who sits in the pew, they wouldn't be able to tell us, because I know. Or the first thing they said would be, oh, it's this kind of feeling you get. Yeah. And then I, right. I just sang my favorite hymn. It's more than a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or, right. Or or it's, uh, um, uh, oh, yeah, uh, if you were to ask me, I, I know that Jesus died for my sins. And, and they kind of carry that in their, their back pocket as though that is all they need to know. Mm-hmm. Right? Without yeah. any thought of repentance. Or anything like that. I I know that line, which is what the what American Christianity taught for, for a generation. Just say this prayer and you're cool. Um, I mean, really, how many of us are willing to look ridiculous for the Christian faith? These two definitely looked ridiculous, right? It was cr- <laughs> like I mean, it looks crazy. And, and many times the disciples would be like, "You're ridiculous. Stop bothering Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. And yet they do it. And Jesus does stuff. And I think sometimes, like, you know, we say we, we have confidence. We say we believe right. this. Um, and, and sometimes we, we as pastors, I think I've probably mentioned this before in the podcast, but, you know, we might repeat ourselves after 200 and some 50-something. What are we at, Pete? Uh, I think it's 242? 240. 243, something like All that. Right. Um, and, and that is, <laughs> I, I think we sometimes fall that into that as pastors where we— 
we're more likely sometimes to, to pray that we accept his will <laughs> rather than believing that he'll do something about the situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, it, people feel this way, you know, about everything. Evangelism, reclaiming uh, institutions, whatever. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I don't believe we're in Dunkirk yet. I don't believe like we have to retreat time and time again. I don't think we have to give up ground. I don't think we have to give up any of these things. I think we can actually retake them. How do we know that this is Gog and Magog attacking the camp of the saints? We can't know that. So why are we so pessimistic about everything? I I just like, yeah. this is what faith is. Faith is looking ridiculous to the world. Faith is being theater to the world. That, that's what it is. And yet, you know what? People are saved. People are converted. Um, the world has changed. Europe was changed. I mean, our ancestors worshipped stupid things. They worshipped a one-eyed God who had him hang people on a tree and animals and the like. That's ridiculous. Like, that's the true insanity because they worship demons. And now our society is doing the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So why not take it back? Why not, you know, do as what we say? God's word works, right? doesn't return right. to him void, so I don't but, know. But, Berg, the only time that we that, that people actually talk about that that way is when they want to do a building project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, we, I... <laughs> you know, we actually, you know, and no doubt, I mean, buildings are important. Blah, blah, yeah, blah, I know. Blah, but where blah. are we get the money? Well, let's, let's live by faith, you know? <laughs> yeah. How about you live by faith when you go to Thanksgiving dinner and you're, you know, Buddhist niece is there, right? And you say yeah. it's true. How about you go talk to your neighbors about Jesus? I mean, these guys, like, they didn't, they looked ridiculous. They ridiculed Jesus. So, I I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a great segue, okay? Uh, because, uh, uh, speaking of, uh, how about sounding ridiculous too, right? I say that because we have some uh, a listener who sent in a song. <laughs> now I've actually listened to to some of it, and uh, I don't I don't know because <laughs> because we 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 talk to the it, it, it's it, it's it's called Ice and it features uh, the Archbishop. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. And I, I don't, but I don't know if he agreed. The Archbishop agreed <laughs> to the song. That's that's my. I mean, if he's a public figure, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> what do you have against ice? <laughs> This is awesome. Too cold. <laughs> this is like German industrial music. Right. You could pop iron to this. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, I did have a thought and it, it totally. I lost it.
oddly quiet. I'm not sure what's going through his mind right now. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead fade that up there. Thank right. you. Yeah, we'll, we'll play the whole entire thing at the end of the episode. <laughs> Thank you, Baron Albatross. This is the best one you've done so far. <laughs> I don't know. I I couldn't understand what what was. I I heard the. I don't want my stomach to be cold. Yeah, and then then from there it kind of. Well, t- did it I, talk about an, that that uh, what animal would kill Vicar? Yeah, it was yeah. just a bunch of clips okay. from that episode. So like he he edited it to say kill Vicar and. Yeah. So, see, okay. Yeah. See, here's the thing. Okay, <laughs> this is my fear. Poor Listener. Vicar. Yeah. I will die someday. It's okay. Yes, that's right. Yeah, but. Uh, I think Archbishop. death by wild. I think death by wild animals, though, isn't that a punishment from God? Yeah, I don't really want to die by rabbit. R- yeah, ra- <laughs> rabbit wouldn't be good. Right. Yeah. By by the way, uh, what what does this guy have against you, Vicar? I don't know. First Who of knows? all, he may just sound like this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But but you see, see what he's got the that voice. I don't yeah, know. you could absolutely like mix that. That you could get a lot of good samples and make some like a uh, more dubstep noises out of out of uh out of that well rank. i i think baron albatross should be an earl so you know give mm. him one step up in the nobility hierarchy so earl yeah. albatross yeah uh, vicar clarified uh for me because <laughs> I, I was like why can't he have kids it's, it's not that baron <laughs> <laughs> it's r-o-n not r-e-n oh okay yeah. Because you say he had like a, he has a bunch of kids, right? Yeah, uh, I think he has five. Okay, so all right. So uh, if you like that, if you like that song, what I'd like for you to do is uh, uh, go to Hope for the Destitute <laughs> and uh, make a donation. They're building a school and uh, and doing great work over there in Kenya. So. All right, we need to do our top 12 list. Enough enough of that nonsense. Uh, we have a top 12 plus. You got more than 12 here. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. So Berg has been a content machine. Content machine. He's been on fire. Indeed. So this is uh, the top 13 topics sermon. Oh, Baker's oh 13. Yep, 13. Normally what I do is I do 12 and I have honorable mention because Okay, so you know, actually, I I am I am the orderly one in this group, obviously. All right. So, top 12 and actually I I forgot there are actually two honorable mentions here. All right. So it's a top 14. So it's a top 14. Top 12 and there are two outside looking in, right? You couldn't get rid of one more, huh? I I couldn't because, you know, it's our confessions and stuff, so <laughs> I tried, so, but you know, I, I couldn't make it work. So the honorable mentions are Honorable mention. Honorable mention. <laughs> honorable mentions. We we don't have a voice line for that. That's all we can do. Mentioned honorably. <laughs> all works of love and chastity. And I, I put some uh Bible uh you know, where where could you preach on this kind of stuff? You know, well, actually, the second last Sunday of the church year, you could preach about it for the uh, parable of the sheep and the goats and Trinity 14, the fruits of the spirit. Chastity is actually coming up for Ad Te Lawawi, Romans 13, 11 through 14, 
that you don't live in sexual immorality and sensuality. Number 12. Okay, one thing we should preach on here is the education and instruction of children. And this is Trinity 13, uh, Luke 10, 21 through 37, where Jesus praises the Father in heaven before he does the Good Samaritan parable. And he says, you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. And so it shows there that little children are also in the kingdom and they should be educated and instructed. Number 11. Marriage. We should preach about marriage. That's kind of important. We can do that on Epiphany 2, John 2, 1 mm-hmm. through 11. The wedding at Cana. Any comments? Uh, yes, I think... Uh, you think marriage um, is good? I like well, it too. <laughs> let's do a red team on marriage. Yeah, let's do a red <laughs> well, Peter, what team are you on? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> okay, so yeah, it's a uh, obviously, um, especially now, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what is marriage? Um, and uh, and it, it really is the basis by which um, a home is built, and people are brought into this world, and it's the when G- when Paul and Christ and really the prophets talk about uh, the closest thing that they can now the, the the prophets generally talk about it in the negative form uh, of uh, of uh, God's relationship with His people, He uses marriage, and so uh, not only does it help to have a practical understanding of marriage and biblical marriage, but also it helps you understand the church and and Christ's work in the church. All right. Very good. Number 10. The distinction between the kingdom of Christ, that is the spiritual kingdom, and political affairs. And I have down there the second last Sunday of the church year, Daniel 7, 9 through 14, Christ's everlasting kingdom. Yeah. Anything there? (laughs) Well, and uh, uh, Vicar just preached that sermon uh, on the, on give to Caesar, rend to Caesar, what is Caesar's? And that'll get us into number nine. Respect for the magistrates and all civil orders. So there you can preach on tr- Trinity 23, Matthew 22, 15 through 22. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, to God to what, you know, what is God's. And then Jubilate, 1 Peter 2, 11 through 20. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So, Vicar, how did it go? Did you show respect for all magistrates and civil orders? I think I did. Okay. Yes. I think it went well. There you go. So you fulfilled this one. So you, you got one. By, out of by the, the way, list. Vicar, I am so. included in that. Well, of course, because yes. I'm your supervisor. Yeah. And if I didn't, that would be breaking the fourth commandment. <laughs> do, do I count as the producer? Yeah, of course you do. Uh, Does it work like yes, that? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> You're the producer of the Clerical Airs podcast. Civil order. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight The Cross. And this is the cross that is imposed on Christians by God. Um, we see it in Exaudi Sunday, John 15, 26 through 16, 4. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And Trinity 3, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And after you have suffered a little while. So that would be... Good, pre- good places to preach about the cross and the Christian's life. Number seven. 
prayer, what it should be like, and that everyone may be completely certain that is that it is efficacious and heard. And the great Sunday for this is Rogate Sunday, John 16, 23 through 30, where Jesus says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. So, prayer, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number six. So number six, the exercise of faith. So what is the exercise of faith, Vicar? Is that just works? Actually, no. The exercise of faith, which fights against unbelief and despair over the promise of the gospel. And I took this from the apology. Um, This is the doubt that we fight against on free forgiveness. Thus, the papists obscure the glory of Christ rob the conscience of sure consolation and destroy true worship. That is the exercise of faith wrestling with despair. And this comes from the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope, paragraph 44. So, Vicar, could you come up with a sermon title that uses the exercise of faith that includes uh, clanging and banging? Oh, my goodness. I, I don't know. I probably <laughs> could, but I don't know if it'd be very reverent or not. Well, I already have one. Oh okay. oh, okay. So, putting God in a headlock, the exercise of faith. <laughs> yeah! <Boom>. Let's go! <laughs> and you can actually see this in Remiscere Sunday, both in the Old Testament lesson, Genesis 32, 22 through 32, Jacob wrestling with God, and mm-hmm. Matthew 15, 21 through 28, the Canaanite woman. Number five. Okay, this is the consolation of consciences through faith. So how do we console people who are down? Well, the first place that I think is quasi-motogenity, John 20, 19 through 31, the consolation of the apostles and Thomas when Jesus appears to them, mm-hmm. right? Because before this, uh, they were not consoled. They were actually in despair, right? Right. Uh, Jubilate Sunday, John 16, 16 through 23, where Jesus says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And then you have Trinity 19, the paralytic. Jesus says to him, mm-hmm. take heart, son. Right. And this is the way that our Lord Jesus consoles our consciences through faith. Number four. The righteousness of faith. And this is actually Trinity 1, Genesis 15, 1 through 6. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he, that is God, counted it to him as righteousness. This is important because there are so many people who struggle with this, right? Right. I mean, we are righteous. We are right with God by faith, apart from the works of the law. People don't understand that. They don't. They live by the law, and it kills them. Because every, everything else in life works that way. Right. So... A huge topic should be preached on a lot. Number three. Faith in Christ. Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. I think we talked about that for uh, this coming Sunday. Yes, we did. Yep. Right. And that is actually the definition that Luther gives in his introduction to St. Paul's letter to the Romans. And that is in Luther's German Bible of 1522. So, where could you preach on this? Trinity 13, Galatians 3, 15 through 22, 
but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And then again in Trinity 15, Matthew 6, 24 through 34, do not be anxious. So have you done this with a three-year too? Uh, well, you know, I am just that nice to you guys. <laughs> so. Uh, three-year, that's that's three times more text you have to go through, so. Yeah, I mean, could I do it at some point? I mean, let's be honest, like. Oh, you're, you're on a tear I, lately. You're I, on I a mean, tear. I'm pretty awesome, but like. I bet you AI could do it. it. I'm sure AI could do it. But this is like, uh, um, oh, who is the, the black, uh steel driver right henry something henry when he fights against the machine and he wins but then he dies at the end that's how i feel with ai do you guys remember oh, this the meg the meg no not the meg come on <laughs> we just watched that it's an old it's an old folk tale um something henry uh he he uh know your audience hardcore, man hardcore henry <laughs> no come on you guys know this you, uh, no, you, I don't. Yeah. Let's see, we're three pigs in it. Um, Henry. Is this oh, the one with brains? Uh, Humpty Dumpty. Uh, man, you guys are the worst. Um, <laughs> let's see. I mean, uh, this is they a, like, like crumbs to go back to uh, grandma's house, or no? This Bert, is you've you've read more is, books this month than I will ever read in my whole life. What are you talking about? Um, track. Let's try this. Track, uh, machine. See, and now I'm using Google because I'm just surprised you guys have never heard of this before. John it Henry. It's the folk. It's the folklore. He's an American folk hero. He's an African American freedman, and he worked as a steel driving man, a man tasked with hammering this, a steel drill into rock to make holes for explosives to blast the rock, constructing a railroad line. And then he competes against a machine. He beats the machine, but then he dies in the process. Are you guys seriously telling me you've never heard of John Henry? Yes. Never heard of him. Uh, I've signed my name before. That's Herbie That's Hancock. That's John Hancock. Oh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Herb, Herbie Hancock is the uh, the movie, right? There are a lot of people who go to, who go to college for 12 years. They're called doctors. <laughs> but, yes, John Henry is an American folk hero, okay? Like, okay. Uh, I believe you. This just kills me. I feel guys. like you 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 just lost a lot of respect for us I over mean, here, Berg. This is like <laughs> this is like Paul Bunyan. You guys know who Paul Bunyan is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard the name with yeah. Babe the Big Blue Ox. The, yeah, yeah, you know, right. He, oh yeah, uh, he's got a restaurant somewhere, right? I have an aunt with Bunyans. All right, let's continue on. Doesn't <laughs> he really? He's <laughs> really into like maple syrup or something. That's right? Paul's like, Bunyans. Yeah, this is making me too sad. I just. <laughs> Because how can we have how can we have a common culture and you guys don't know like the American myths? This is what America is. Hey, Amer- uh, I have a feeling America's on our side with this. <laughs> I think the America I'm thinking of and the America you're thinking of are two different two places. very different places. <laughs> I'm sorry we made you sad, Berg. Yeah. No. Oh, yes. Oh, I got it now. Right. He 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 uh, he beat the machine. John. Yeah, the, the guy who drilled into some rock, right? Right. right. Yeah. His wife was Aunt Jemima. <laughs> <laughs> no. All Aunt right. Jemima doesn't exist anymore. Neither does Uncle Ben. 
and I just watch American culture just drift away. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Number two. Number two. The fear of God. And this is servile fear versus filial fear. So, for example, uh, Trinity 10, the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, Trinity 19, which is uh, Genesis 28, Jacob's ladder where he's afraid. And this is a filial fear, even though God gives him promises, right? And mm -hmm. then uh, Trinity 20, Matthew 22, uh, this is where the city is destroyed by the king because they reject his messengers. So that'd be one thing. And then the man cast into outer darkness, right? So these would be good ways to teach the fear of God. And which, finally... Which is, which is, is needed. Right. I mean, these are big deals, right? So anyway... And number one. Repentance. So what is repentance? Well, according to the Augsburg Confession, Article 12, 3 to 5, this is what repentance is. Now, strictly speaking, repentance consists of two parts. One part is contrition. That is terror striking the conscience through the knowledge of sin. The other part is faith, which is born of the gospel or the absolution and believes that for Christ's sake, sins are forgiven. It comforts the conscience and delivers it from terror. So, um, for example, Trinity 3 would be a great way to teach this. Luke mm -hmm. 15, 1 through 10, the lost sheep and the lost coin. So <clears throat> the reason why I, I was reading, you know, the Book of Concord the other day, which is great, um, and everyone should do because it's amazing. Um, and this is where I got these topics from. So here... Um, Melanchthon is actually talking about the opponents and what we do. And he says here, and when the opponents do preach, they pre they talk about human traditions, about the devotion to the saints and similar trifles. This the, pe the people rightly loathe, and so they walk out on them immediately after the reading of the gospel. In our churches, all the sermons deal with topics like these. And then we just had our list. So and this so, was written a Melanchthon list. Yes. And remember, Melanchthon is a layman, right? And mm -hmm. here he's being very descriptive about what is being taught in evangelical, that is, gospel-centered or Lutheran churches. And this is where, I don't know, our pastors might want to have a list, right? Right. Mm -hmm. To make sure that, hey, we're covering these topics. We're teaching people what these words mean. Um we're actually doing this kind of stuff. And and that that bears out the the importance of electionary that you, it's not just we would have blind spots if we were to pick out our own lectionary I think over time. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody has a lectionary. The question is is like how are you going to preach the whole counsel of God, right? Right. And some but, ways it's just better to make lists, right? Hey, you're you're preaching to the choir, man. <laughs> so, you know, um, Luther actually came up with a list too of all the topics that were necessary to deal uh, with in the true Christian church and about which we are concerned. Maybe we'll save that for another time. But, well, you know, I, I think that's important, right? That, hey, when you get into the pulpit, you shouldn't just be thinking about this Sunday, but you should be thinking long term. Okay, have I covered mm -hmm. this topic before? Have I been clear about this topic? Have I actually defined words do people know what words like justification sanctification prayer um 
the fear of God or repentance, what do those words actually mean? And also, which is also why um, you can do that year after year because uh, the situations that surround every Sunday also change. What's going on in congregation changes. Um, what uh, if you're talking about uh, fear or prayer or or all those high type of things from one year to the next? What might be on people's minds might be different, and every congregation is different, which is why uh, um, we we write a new sermon every time because we're in a different place. But we preach right. the same truths, but the context, the occasion what people need to hear from it the way what how our thinking needs to be corrected by the word of god that all is different this is why we can't just have a sermon uh we don't have like a okay this is our lectionary and this is the approved sermon that we preach everywhere um because that's going to change which if you need to that's okay right because actually there was a lot of time in the church, I mean, especially during the age of rationalism. We read about it, right, Vicar? We read about it in the Hammer of God. Yeah. Right? I mean, those people read postals because that's all they could do. Now, is that ideal? Not really, but, you know, it'll it's get the job done. Right? Yeah. And this is why I think, too, you know, if people at home are really looking to get into different things... Um, there are actually postals, collections of sermons out there that go with the one-year lectionary that you can read and maybe get a little different perspective on things as well. So, Yeah, like Walther's sermons are really uh, really interesting to read. Walther's, Gerhard's, Luther's. Luther's, you know, there are plenty of sermons that are just full of so much meat, you know? So... You know, and they address particular topics. There are actually lists for the one-year lectionary um, for uh, topics of the day. Do mm-hmm. you have that, Bullhagen? Um, did I, I send that to that you? I don't think. I don't think so. Well, I'll send it to you. Maybe we should include that in our lectionary stuff too. Yeah, because that would be good as well. You know, right? That hey, you know, our preachers should be preaching the whole counsel of God. And frankly, that's why I think the church is so weak is oftentimes we don't preach the whole counsel of God. People have questions about things like marriage or suffering or whatever. And if it's not getting covered, then, of course, where are they going to go? Right. To a place where, you know, it may be covered, but it might not be, right. you know, very clear. So, I mean... This is why it's funny how people say short sermons, and yet the non-denoms, right? The non-denominationals are the fastest growing, Luther or the fastest growing Christian denomination, right? Mm-hmm. And their sermons are long. Yeah, yeah. How long are their sermons? At least a half an hour. At least, right? So, what do they do? What can we actually learn from them? Well, they, they exposit actually, the scriptures. They exposit the scriptures. And they teach. They apply it, yeah. They apply it. I mean, this is what we should be doing in our sermons. This is what the reformers did. They applied these things. They had a goal and said, okay, today we're going to preach about repentance. And then they applied it. Right. 
Yeah. And so it's just like, yeah, maybe we should be doing more of that kind of thing, you know? Maybe our sermons should be longer because that's always the thing. Well, people get more out of Bible study than they do out of sermons. Well, maybe... Well, they get more out of the children's sermon. Right. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> but, you know, people like Bible study more than they like sermons. Well, maybe our sermons need to be more like Bible study. Well, I don't know. More uh, people listen to a well, sermon than to Bible study. That's right. Most people come for the sermon, but they don't stay for the Bible study. Maybe. So... But, you know... See, I mean, I think it'd be better to have a have a 20-minute sermon than rather have a yeah. seven-minute... Well, and that's what know. I'm saying is, you know, so you got them. They're right, not and if you, read, <laughs> if you read all of uh, Walther's sermons, I mean, they're exactly that way. They read like a Bible study with uh, massive amounts of gospel thrown in. Exactly. So how about we teach and apply the scriptures? Hmm, that's, that's what preaching is. I mean... Yeah, you, you say it because it is a bullhaganism, right? But it's true. <laughs> because, like, we don't do... Like, how many sermons, Bullhagen, have you heard that actually do that? Not not a whole lot. <laughs> not a whole lot, right? People actually, like, if they come to church, like, in these days, they're not coming to be seen, right? They're right. there probably because they want to be. I would assume, right? So, and if they're there, that means they want to be taught. Like, they want to understand the world. They want to understand God. They want to know, like, okay, why is my family so screwed up? Why am I feeling so anxious and depressed? So why don't we, like, I don't know, talk about that stuff. Right. Right? right? Mm-hmm. So, right. All right. I, did I make well, you uncomfortable? No. No, not at all. Not at all. How are we doing on time, Pete? So we could do something short. What do you want to do then? Well, actually, let's do a Reddit question. Confound the clerics. Peter, play the intro. Confound the clerics. All right. So on the LCMS subreddit, there's this one question. Uh, a user asked how to determine the validity of sacraments. He says, how do Lutherans determine who has valid sacraments? If they don't have a valid Eucharist, are they saved? Question mark. What about other Lutherans? If they have valid sacraments and we share the same creed, why aren't we in communion? Referring to Wells specifically. Okay, well, first of all, of all, uh, when you talk about and answering this question, what is a valid sacrament? You go to uh, Christ's institution. That was the first place you would go to. And whether and when you're speaking of the Lord's Supper, First Corinthians chapter eleven, um, I actually taught in Bible study. Everyone has to know. I re- reiterate this. A lot of times, what chapter does St. Paul give specific instruction concerning the Lord's Supper? And I have it drilled into their head, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, so they can actually go look at it. So, so first off, I would say valid would go to Christ's institution. Uh, the second is deal that deals with the question is, is with um, uh, salvation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it by which we are saved? Well, Berg has talked quite a bit today on faith, right? Correct, yeah. And, and, and that is which, by which we're saved. Um, if, if, a, if a church has kind of a messed up view of the sacraments, can there be people with faith in those situations? Yes. Yes. So, uh, but at the same time, uh, there are inconsistencies. And so 
when you're taking uh, um, false understanding or false sacraments can be damaging to that faith. So you want to avoid that. Mm-hmm. And you want to offer the, the, sa- the sacraments according to Christ's institution. So, for example, uh, if, a, if a church thinks, oh, it means a lot more if we baptize with rose petals, is that how Christ instituted the sacrament? No. No. Right. I want to use uh, spice cake and Coke for the Lord's Supper. Is that how Christ instituted it? No. No. Uh, Christ instituted it. This is my body uh, given for you. This cup is a New Testament in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, so what do you receive? According to Christ's promise, the body and blood of Jesus. Now, there are lots of churches that don't believe that, and I do believe that is damaging to faith. It doesn't mean that people in those churches don't have any faith. Right. It's what uh, Franz Pieper refers to as a felicitous inconsistency, that those outside of the Lutheran church, um, though they may be a part of denominations that uh, believe things that are uh, uh, outside of the scope of uh Christian thought, they themselves can still be saved despite what their denomination says. Take, for example, um, the Methodist Church, right? They don't have a very high view of the Lord's Supper, but there could very well still be somebody who, while being part of that denomination, hears the words of Christ and the institution and still believes that they are the true body and blood. This is uh, what would be a felicitous inconsistency. I don't know if that applies to that, though. You don't think so? Because uh, the context matters. I mean, if if, if the, the words... I, I kind of... And you can you can talk about this, what you think, Berg, too. But, like, if it's in a congregation where they might be using the English words of institution, but they're using a different language, and sometimes they actually do, in the institution this symbolizes oh i see what you mean yep uh so um because then the the validity is up of the lord's supper and that is just up to the individual not the word but doesn't that the doesn't the whole idea of a felicitous inconsistency sort of uh, uh lean on the understanding that this person may not have the best understanding or the best dogmatical understanding of say the Lord's Supper in this instance. Mm -hmm. So they may not necessarily know what their denomination believes explicitly in sort of dogmatical language, but hearing the words of Christ by reading their Bible comes to the understanding that it's still the body and blood, or at least uh, Christ isn't lying that it is what it says, what he says it is. What do you think, Berg? Yeah. I mean, I think you guys are on the right path. Um, yeah, the words of institution aren't magic. Just because you say the words, it really matters what you signify by them, right? Does is mean is, exactly. or does is mean um, represents? And yet, if someone doesn't believe that, are they still saved? And Vickers right here to bring up the felicitous inconsistency, because mm-hmm. um, wherever the words, because I, I always thought thought that maybe not on various topics, but the inconsistency is, is directly related to salvation, that there are inconsistency in this, in the theology of it, but their salvation, 
I, I don't know if I would say that that means directly when it comes to, for example, the Lord's Supper. Well, well, it's been a while since I've read Peeper, so I'd have to go back and reread that section. But the way that I, I understood it was that it was referring to uh, those things which are uh, what could be damaging towards one's salvation, but ultimately is um, uh, uh, a certain belief that they they hold that they hold in a way that is not in accord with their denomination, that is more right. so in in accord with what the Bible believes. But it also is still, like I said earlier, that it's it leans on the idea that there's a there's a an amount of ignorance of right. maybe what the dogmatic well, that, language means. That's what means. I would agree. I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Okay. So, I yeah. mean, I think the interesting question here that Vicar brings up that I've never thought about before, which is great, um, is that, you know, if someone believes that it is the true body and blood of Jesus, do they actually receive it from someone who doesn't believe it? Right? I think Walther would say yes. And Walther would say yes, because what exactly, you know, who has all, but, but, but all the, of but the... But the inverse isn't true, though. Meaning, if someone doesn't believe and they come to the Lord's Supper uh, at our altar, we would say they don't believe, but they still receive the body and blood of Jesus. Yeah, they still do, but it's to their judgment. I think it, right? Right. So I think it also depends on the confession of the pastor who's giving it, or at least the confession of the church body that the pastor belongs to. That's what I'm getting Uh at. That's what I'm. You can have like an unbelieving pastor in the LCMS who says the words rightly and it it truly is the body and blood but if you have like an, an unbelieving pastor in the uh in the Methodist church it isn't because it's still in accord with what the Methodists believe which is that it's not the body and blood but do you see what what's happening there you're actually restricting the lord's supper then to the accident of denominational lines sure it's like a, it's right? like a new donatism luther would say if you believe in the words okay. Right. Uh, if you believe mm-hmm. in this is the my body, you require all hearts to believe. Yeah. And in right. fact, in other places, when he, I think Masaki actually had a class on this, on the Lord's Supper, where we read all of these different things. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, this is this is one of the things. This is something, Vicar, you actually brought up that I haven't thought about before, and yeah, that doesn't happen very often. So thank you. Um, <laughs> um, you're welcome <laughs> I mean perhaps someone who actually does believe that it's the Lord's body and blood perhaps they believe it on the basis of the words spoken if those words are according to the scriptures and they understand them rightly otherwise perhaps we are being Donatists then th- does that mean that everyone else is taking it to their judgment in that setting no because if they believe that it's not the Lord, the Lord's body and blood, and that is the confession of the church, they're making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. Which is why liturgy is so important, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're using the biblical words and people take, I mean, because haven't you met people from other denominations who say, yeah, of course it's the Lord's body and blood. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So are they not taking it just simply because they're in a, I mean, they shouldn't be in that false confession anyway, but ha- has what they believed to be a- to have been taking all this time has that all just been a simple lie? But 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 I would say this though, most people that I would say who come and I ask, do you believe you receive the, the the true body and blood for the forgiveness of sins? Their thought is, yeah, right here at this moment, that sounds reasonable. Okay. So, 
it's the same way you say if you ask the same person in exactly the same setting do you believe that this body and blood represents christ's body and blood or symbolizes they'd say yeah that sounds reasonable well which is right because you're saying it you're using the words that christ used and so they're going to assume that you mean the same thing that what their denomination means when they use those words which which, so which is why really what they're hearing is something different which is why you actually have to ask them and say hey what what does this mean are you putting Jesus into your mouth or not? This requires more time than five minutes before church starts. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, this is what this requires, okay? Right, and this is why we go by their public confession, because we can't see in hearts. We go by... But I do wonder, like, exactly. if people take Jesus at his word in the Baptist church, in the Methodist church, when they say, this is my body, this is my blood, and they're like, yeah. It's Jesus' body and blood. I don't know how that happens, but it is. Yeah. That, I. But what yeah. what elements are they using? Well, if they're using bread and wine, isn't it? Right. But it's usually like grape juice and bologna sandwiches. This is a great, great topic, and I like this. I want to sit back, and I want to hear what the listeners have to say on this. Where can they get a hold of us, Vicar? If they want to get a hold of us, they can email us at feedback at clericalerrors.org. They can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash, me, slash uh, fa- uh, clerical errors podcast. And they can also tweet at us at clerical errors P. P for podcast. So let us know. Um, I imagine Bullhagen and Berg are going to be watching the Facebook post for this episode. Sure. Uh, I will now. I, I want to hear what you guys have to say. We got a lot of clergy to listen. I, I'm sure there's at least a couple doctors of theology. Um, let's know what you guys think. This is an interesting discussion. You're right. (laughs) Vicar's dying for his heresy. I swallowed weird and it hit the back of my throat, like right on my uvula. And it felt like there was fire going down my mouth. Mm. So instead of, well, we'll let Vicar recover as we end the episode. Right. I'm all right. I'll be fine. Uh, So yeah, let us know. Let us know. Uh, thank you for listening. This is Bull Higgins. This is Berg. And this is Vicar. And may your uvula, uvula not be on fire. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Claire Glares. See you next time. What do you have against ice? Too cold. And I don't want my stomach to be cold. I'm cold everywhere. Are you cut? Oh, I did have a thought and it, it totally. I lost it. <laughs> what if my stomach freezes? <laughs>